As I was preparing for this message, I really suspected that the enemy would somehow try to silence me today, given the nature of the text that we will be addressing, and he is certainly at work. This morning I've been having trouble with my ear monitor. It either deafens me or I don't hear it at all. That's been going through the last two songs, and now how I would normally connect to the computer up there and run the slides, I can't even see the computer. Uh, on my iPad, but here's what I know. I am going to preach today, and I am going to preach the truth of the gospel. So I encourage you this morning, uh, if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5. And I had earlier this morning saved uh, my um, each slide where in case something like this happened, that they would be able to run them for me from the screen, and so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We will do the best that we can, but I want to just stop right now um, and pray just a moment. Father, Lord, I know, we know that you are greater than anything that the enemy can throw our way. Lord, I, I pray right now that you will have control, complete control over the service. I pray that you will control the words that come out of my mouth. Father, I pray that this will be a day that we see you move mightily throughout this church. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. We are continuing the Galatians sermon series this morning. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 and planning to cover that entire chapter this morning. This is actually the sixth sermon in this particular series. And after this morning, we're going to have one sermon that will be remaining in this particular series. This is a journey that, that started almost one year ago. And as we prepare to take a step into the Scripture this morning, I want to remind you of something that Brother Blake and I often remind you of. As you hear us preach from this pulpit, please take what we say and compare it to the Word of God. You've got that responsibility as a Christian. Please don't take that lightly. We would always encourage you, take what you hear us preach, compare it to the Word of God, and don't let it stop there. Take what you hear preached from any pulpit and compare it to the Word of God. And you know, what we have been dealing with throughout this particular sermon series, what has caused so many problems for this Galatian church is that false teachers had come in and started teaching something that contradicted Scripture. And you know, that could easily happen today. But it's much more difficult for that to happen if you take what you hear and compare it to the Word of God. I challenge you to do that. But as you'll probably remember throughout the rest of this particular sermon series, these false teachers were absolutely insisting that salvation was a result of works, not, not solely on faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, we know that that is simply not true. Salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. And you'll see on the screen right now the title of this message is called The Truth Shall Set You Free. And I want to be clear that you're here this morning, that we don't get off on the wrong foot to start with. When you hear me say the truth Throughout this sermon this morning, I want to be very, very clear what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus tells us in his word, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So again, any time that you hear me say truth this morning, I am pointing you directly to Jesus Christ. And we'll go to the next slide now. As we begin to look at our scripture this morning, we're going to see that we've got freedom from the law and that we've got freedom from the negative consequences on the law. So after we know that, after a person knows that, why would we ever try to return to the law? One thing that Paul was trying to get across to this Galatian church, and I want to be sure that we understand that as well this morning, is that if we try to return to the law, we're obligated to keep the entire law, and we are obligated to keep the entire law perfectly. And I just want to tell you at the beginning this morning, we can't do that. We are not capable of keeping the, the entire law perfectly. But you know who was able? Jesus Christ. He came to fulfill the law. He died for us on that cross of Calvary so that we could have salvation in and through him. And are we not thankful for that this morning? And that's your cue to say, Amen. We should be very, very thankful that Jesus gave his life for us on that cross on Calvary. Now, verse 1 tells us that Christ died to set us free from slavery to the law. And then look there. How I, I hope that you can read this. This is in a totally different format than my, than, than my slides are. Um, but look what Paul says. He tells these people, stand firm. And do not submit again to a a yoke of slavery. So Paul is saying here, stand firm, don't fall back into sin. Do not fall back into sin. And then when we look at verse 2, we have got to read verse 2 in context of the entire chapter of Galatians in order for us to get the meaning of what Paul is referring to here. So what Paul is telling them is that, hey, don't fall back to the law. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Remember, these false teachers were absolutely insisting that the, that the um, Gentiles could not be saved unless they submitted to circumcision. Now, when Paul mentions that in this verse, he is actually referring to the law. And Paul begins to tell this church and everyone who reads this letter from that point forward that if you try to do that, you're going to face six negative consequences. And the first one, is that if you do that, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. You you see that right there in verse 2. If you try to revert back to the law for salvation, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, the second negative consequence that Paul points out is listed in verse 3. 
I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the, the whole law. And remember I said earlier, if we try to hold on to the law for salvation, which we cannot do, we've got to be prepared to keep it all and keep it perfectly. And we simply are not equipped to do that. And then we see the third negative consequence mentioned on the next slide. And God's word tells us there in verse 4 through 6, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So by returning to the law, it removes us from grace if we try to do that. And I want you to just think about it this way for just a minute. If somehow people are trying to rely on works to get to heaven, and again, we cannot do that. We cannot possibly do enough good works to get to heaven. But if you were trying to do that, how would you ever know if you've done enough? Really, how would you ever know if you've done enough? If I were to die right now, if I'd done enough good stuff to get to heaven, how would you know if we are relying on good works instead of relying to Jesus? And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus wants us to know. We'll go to the next slide. In 1 John 5.13, Scripture tells us, I write these things to you who believe in the name of, of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus wants us to put our faith in Him to eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. When we go to the next slide, Paul tells us in verse 6 that in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Moving on to the next slide that begins with verse 7. We see the fourth negative consequence of returning to the law. And look how Paul begins this verse. He tells this church, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I wonder, have you ever known someone who appeared to be running so well? They appeared to be completely sold out for Jesus Christ. Maybe you saw them every time the church door was open. And then suddenly something happened. And they disappeared. Sometimes slowly, sometimes immediately. Do you ever wonder what happened? They appeared to be running so well. What hindered them? What happened to them? That's sort of what Paul's saying to this church. You heard the truth. You accepted the truth. You were running well. Now what's happened to you? I suspect that's a conversation that Paul would like to have with these people. And then he tells them a little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
And I'm going to give you an example right now. I, I don't know how many of you like to bake using yeast. I do. Uh, if, you, if you make any type of yeast bread, yeast rolls, you will know that in general you use a very small amount of yeast for a much larger amount of flour, right? In general, we'll go to that next slide. Um, in, in general, we use one packet of yeast, which is approximately two and a fourth teaspoons for every four cups of flour. So in this example that I'm giving right now, yeast is our leavening agent. Remember, Paul has told these people a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So in that particular verse, if we are applying that verse to our life, a little yeast, the leavening agent, will leaven the whole lump, which is the flour and the other ingredients. And I think you can tell just by looking at what's on the screen right now that, hey, we really do use a little yeast for a much larger amount of flour. But just so that we can compare apples to apples, as they say. Let's go to the next slide. I want you to realize that four cups of flour equals 192 teaspoons. 192 teaspoons. So if we go to the next slide, we can see that a little yeast, two and a fourth teaspoons, leavens the entire 192 teaspoons of flour. So a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So back to my question a few minutes ago of what happened to the people that were running so well, but then something happened to hinder them? Well, the short answer to that is typically some type of sin is involved. And what that does is that the enemy will flash some type of sin in front of our life. He lures us to make it look attractive. And then before we realize what has happened to us, we realize that we're being controlled by the sin. We are being completely controlled by the sin. Now, I'm going to, tell, I'm going to give you an example that probably some of you have um, already heard about. The ones of you that follow me on Facebook, I wrote about this a few weeks ago right after it happened. But one weekday morning a few weeks ago, my alarm went off at 5 o'clock like it does every weekday morning. And I'm one of those people that the Lord has just simply made a morning person. If I knew that tomorrow morning I needed to get up at 2 a.m., I could get up at 2 a.m. and I'm ready to get out of the bed when the alarm goes off. I am not a person to ever hit snooze, ever. Once the alarm goes off, I'm up. And every weekday morning at 5 a.m. when the alarm goes off, I, I get out of bed and I walk from our bedroom, which is in one end of the house, to the kitchen, which is in the complete other end of the house. And that's where I have my morning Bible study and my quiet time with the Lord. So I make that journey every day. But on Monday through Friday, it's at 5 o'clock. And so I have walked that path so many times that I really think I could do it blindfolded. And so as a result, I don't turn the lights on until I get to the kitchen. And so on this particular day, I was about a step and a half from the kitchen light switch, and I stepped on something. 
And I remember thinking at the time, I wonder what that is. I could have never, ever imagined what it was. I got the light. I, I could tell whatever it was, it was stuck to my, it was still stuck to my foot. And so I got the light switch turned on and I looked down. I had stepped on a glue trap that had a live mouse on it. A live mouse on it. And I was stuck tightly to it. Stuck tightly to it. Yeah, it's, it's okay to laugh because I'll tell you, I laughed after we finally got it off. But I could not do it by myself. I want you to hear this in context of the example. I was running well. The alarm went off. I had the best intentions. I was one and a half steps from starting my quiet time with the Lord. And something happened that pulled my attention off of Him. And I was immediately stuck to it so tight that I couldn't get off of it by myself. Folks, that's what sin will do to our lives. I had my phone in my hand. Thankfully, I didn't throw it when I saw the live mouse right there by my foot. As I'm looking back, you know, there, there were various blessings through that because, you know, I could have been stuck to that trap close enough to the mouse that it could have started biting me, but it couldn't quite reach me. But um, anyway, I call Karen, and she answers the phone just as soon as she answers the phone. The first thing I said was, you're going to have to come get me off this glue trap. <laughs> and so here she comes. <laughs> here she comes. And you know what? It was in that moment that I was reminded again just how much she loves me. Because can I tell you, she absolutely detests mice. And there she was down on her knees in the kitchen floor with both hands on that glue trap with the live mouse on it and my foot. And she was pulling backwards. I mean, she was pulling forwards. I was like trying to go backwards. And, you know, we finally got it off. But I want you to hear this. It did not happen without pain. It pulled skin off of my toe, off of my foot, and it was sore for days. So going back to our example, that's how quick sin can control your life. You will be stuck to it before you realize what has happened. And then when you want to get away from it, guess what? It's probably not going to happen without pain. Pain to you, pain to anyone who has been involved. Church, you're running well. Never take your eyes off of Jesus. Never take your eyes off of Jesus. We'll go to that next slide. One of my friends, Miss Brenda Loy, shared this on her Facebook page years ago, and I have used it many, many times. Remember, the enemy tries to lure us with sin. He makes it appear to be so fun, so attractive. But Miss Loy posted this on her Facebook page probably 10 years ago, and I never forgot it. She says, Be careful what you entertain. Sin fascinates before it assassinates. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus, church. 
Don't try to turn to other things to bring you happiness. Don't try to turn to other things to try to earn your salvation. You simply cannot do it. Now, in verses 11 and 12, we'll go to the next slide. We're going to see the fifth and sixth consequences of trying to return to the law. The first is that the, the, the cross will be removed. The offense of the cross will be removed if we try to revert back to the law. You know, before, before Paul was converted, he actually preached circumcision. He is still being accused of that now, even though it's not true. And then I want to be sure that you understand in verse 12 that the sixth negative consequence, as we've been walking through this, it's anger. Paul is angry. Now, just due to the makeup of our congregation this morning, I am not going to define one of those words that's in this verse. But you can guess which one it is. It's what Paul is saying. He is mad. I think he's displaying a righteous anger here he knows that the salvation of the galatian church is being sabotaged and he is just simply not willing to allow that to happen so as we go to the next slide we'll see that paul is reminding the people that they have freedom to live a life of love i want you to listen closely to me because there's a lot of people that will misinterpret the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Again, I think there's a lot of people that read the passage that's on the screen right now, and they completely misinterpret the freedom that we have in Christ. I want you to hear me this morning. We definitely have freedom in and through Jesus Christ, and I am so thankful for that. But what we do not have permission to do, we, have not, we do not have a license to sin. We do not have a license to sin. Our, that is not what our freedom in Christ means, not by a long stretch. As Christians, though, we are called to love one another. In fact, Scripture tells us we are called to love our neighbor as ourself. And then when you look at verse 15, remember that this church that Paul is writing to is divided. It's divided, and the reason they've divide, they have divided is because they have taken the focus off of Christ. And can I tell you, that's what always happens to any church who takes their focus off of Christ. That church will be divided. Never take your, your eyes off of Christ. So we look at that next section of verses on the next slide, verses 16 through 18. We're going to see that we, are, we have freedom to live and freedom to love, and both of those things are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 helps us to see that the law was absolutely powerless to help a Christian overcome sin. You know, we might want to please God, but this struggle that goes on within our life, with our flesh, 
it, it will continually try to pull us into disobedience. And Romans 7 tells us a lot more about this. Hopefully you can read that later. But the answer to this battle that lives inside of us is the Holy Spirit. And I hope you know this morning that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in the life of every Christian. And we are supposed to live our lives in dependence on and in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And if we do that, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, verse 17 goes on to tell us about this conflict between the Holy Spirit and the flesh And then Paul tells these people in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And I'm going to tell you this morning, that is great news. That if you live by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But I want you to realize this morning that victory over sin means that we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. And that we do that each and every day. Now beginning in verse 19 on the next slide. Paul contrasts the acts of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. I really wish I could draw on the screen right now. I'm going to check one more time just to see if maybe it would let me connect. No, still won't. Anyway, you're going to pay close attention here. Um... But Paul contrasts the acts of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. The acts of the sinful nature are divided into four categories. And the first first category we see in verse 19, and they're sexual sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Now, sexual immorality, it covers fornication. It covers adultery. It covers homosexuality. Impurity refers to moral uncleanliness in our life, in our speech, and in our actions. And sensuality is unashamed boldness in sexual sin. Now the second category of sins that Paul lists are actually religious sins, and we see those in verse 20. There are idolatry, which is bowing down to a pagan god, and sorcery, witchcraft, for instance. And I, I, want, I hope you're still thinking about that one slide that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Be careful what you entertain. Sin fascinates before it assassinates. Be careful what you do. You know, I, obviously, I don't think any of you would have anything to do with anything close to witchcraft. But you know, we we might be more easily entertained by something that you might see in the daily newspaper every day called a horoscope. I would be careful about that. I would be very careful on relying on a horoscope. Be careful what you entertain. Paul lists eight sins of society in the third category of sin and begins with enmity. And you might be hearing that word this morning and think, what on earth is that? Well, let me give you an example. Hating somebody because you know what family they're from. 
hating someone because of the color of their skin. It's a sin, and it's wrong. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy. They are all sins of society. And I'm going to tell you, if you have any of those sins of society in your life, you're going to find it difficult to get along with people. You're going to find it really, really difficult to get along with people because when our flesh controls us, it's, it's hard to get along with people. And finally, Paul lists two alcohol-related sins, which are drunkenness and orgies and things like these. And what I want to say about that is I, don't, I really don't want to get on a discussion of alcohol right now, but I want you to hear this, is that there are many, many people who under the influence of a few drinks have committed horrendous sins. Don't let alcohol control you. I would say stay away from it. Stay away from alcohol. Long for Jesus instead. Long for Jesus instead. And then Paul tells them here at the end of verse 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I want you to listen closely to me this morning. Always when I preach, I want you to hear hope. I want you to hear that there is hope. Hear me loud and clear this morning. There is hope. Maybe you're looking at the screen right now and you think, you know, I've done some of that stuff. Maybe there's no hope for me. Yes, there is. His name is Jesus. And he will set you free. But you've got to be willing to let him do it. You have got to be willing to let him do it. You know, his, his response to you will be just like his response was to the woman that we read about in Scripture, the sinful, the sinful woman. He told her to go and sin no more. And you know, that is the exact same thing that he will tell us. Remember, we do not have a license to sin. And then there's good news coming on the next screen. And I want us to read this slide together on the next screen. Yeah, there we go. Read it with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Church, I'm telling you, that is great news this morning. And I want to make sure that you've caught this. At the beginning of that verse, it says the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. It does not say the fruit of self-effort. Remember, we are not part of a works-based salvation. And then finally, our last slide Paul tells this church, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The struggle between our flesh and our new nature as Christians is real. But as this scripture states, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to remind you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning. Run the race well. Do not take your eyes off of Jesus. Do not entertain sin. Keep your eyes on Jesus or you will be stuck to sin tighter than I was that glue trap. Keep our eyes on Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I want to remind you that Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. If you don't know for sure, remember I shared that one verse with you from 1 John where Scripture tells us, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're here this morning and you don't know that you've got eternal life, you probably don't have it. He wants us to know. Don't walk out of this building this morning if you are not certain where you would spend your eternity if you die today. You see, if you have never given your life to Jesus, it really is as easy to do that process as we teach people in Bible school. The ABCs of salvation. We've got to admit that we're a sinner. We've got to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he walked this earth, that he had an earthly ministry. His life contained absolutely no sin. And that he loved us so much that he went to the cross to die for us. After he died, he was removed from the cross. He was buried. And on the third day, he arose. And then the C in the ABCs of salvation is that we've got to be willing to confess that Jesus is Lord, to repent of our sins and turn from that life of sin. If if you have never made that decision this morning, we encourage you to come today. Don't put off salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you just need to come and pray about something. I would encourage you to do that during this time of invitation. You know, we have been talking about the truth shall set you free. And again, that truth is Jesus Christ. Does His blood cover you today? Does it cover you? Would you, would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this time that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you will take the words that have been preached this morning, and what I pray that you will just um, search the hearts and lives of people. What I pray that we will see a mighty moving of the Holy Spirit in this place today. What I pray that decisions will be made today to accept you as the Lord and Savior. What I pray that there will be people that will just lay whatever burden they are carrying at your feet. Lord, I pray that you will just move mightily. Father, we give this time to you, and it's in your name I pray. Amen.